overactive is not our best scenario, right? We can end up with these sort of allergies or autoimmune. The other side of underactive is also we're getting sick, right? <laughs> right? We feel very susceptible. Maybe that's why you're a little bit phobic of shaking somebody's hand or whatever it is, right? Like maybe you feel like, you know, if you're around somebody who has a cold, you're going to get it. Right. <laughs> Welcome to Salad with a Side of Fries. I'm your host, Jen Trepic, talking wellness and weight loss for real life. We're here to clear up the myths, misinformation, bad science, and marketing to teach you how to eat and how to cheat. Are you ready? I'm having salad with a side of fries. Hey there. Welcome back to another episode of Salad with a Side of Fries. I'm your host, Jen Trepic, of course, always here with you. And Christine is back again. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so if you've... Now, if you're maybe if you're newer around here, I highly recommend you go back to our first ever interview about acupuncture, which features Christine. Over the last three plus years, we've done a few episodes together. And if you attend our monthly webinars, you'll recognize Christine as well. So today's episode certainly falls into Christine's wheelhouse. And we're going to talk about immune, like the immune system plus functional nutrition. So I couldn't be more excited. And the other reason I'm really looking forward to this is that it feels very timely, <laughs> right? We're, we're headed into, or maybe we're already in, cold and flu season. I've heard a handful of stories in just the last week of people getting sick and they're like, it's not COVID, <laughs> right? And I've also had a couple new clients coming and talking about whether they have an already diagnosed autoimmune condition or they're in the process of trying to figure out an autoimmune diagnosis. So I feel like it's a bit of a return to topics that have maybe been ignored in the context of the last couple of couple years. You're, mm -hmm. you're nodding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think COVID kind of took the oxygen out of the room, you know, and there are still other things that the immune system does and that we need to be aware of so we can kind of support and help it out. A hundred percent. So today is our effort to help us all better understand the different pieces of it. So I'll preface the whole conversation with a reminder about Goldilocks. Christine, do you remember what Goldilocks wanted? It has to be just right. Exactly. <laughs> right? Her porridge, her chair, her bed. She wanted everything just right. I'll let you think about that while I tell our members what they're getting this week. So members, I'm sending you a truly wonderful article. You could also watch it as a video instead of reading it, but it's an interview Dr. Casey Means of Levels Health, who's been a guest on this show, she interviews Dr. Terry Walls. So Dr. Terry Walls, if you've never heard of her, maybe you've heard of the Walls Protocol. So this is her protocol for treating autoimmune conditions with lifestyle and nutrition. And she really used herself as, you know, the guinea pig, so to speak. But her story is just tremendous. So I'll send you guys that. And then your recipe... Oh, I'm also going to send you a link to her TED Talk, which was from 2011. So maybe you're not into the whole interview, but her TED Talk is great too. And then your recipe, 
is for vegan garlic mashed cauliflower. So perfect for this time of year, a great option for the upcoming holidays. And I think you'll be surprised not just how good it is, but how easy it is to make. So if the recipe sounds good to you, you're curious to read or watch the interview with Dr. Terry Walls, just make sure you're a member. So you're going to go to glow.fm slash salad with a side of fries. For $10 a month, you get weekly recipes, a monthly article or tool, extra discounts from me and our partners, plus access to live Q&A sessions. It's really a total deal. Taking advantage of the full offerings, you're saving far more than that $10 cost. I say this every time, but it's seriously a no-brainer way to show yourself that your health is a priority. Sort of dip your toe in the water of getting a little bit extra beyond tuning in every week, which is also tremendous. So join us by becoming a member. It supports this podcast and this community so that we can continue to do this every week as well. So remember, you're going to go to glow.fm slash salad with a side of fries, or just click the link in the show notes because that's easier. Once you're there, you'll click support now. Enter your email and payment method, click subscribe, and you're all set. You'll get this week's recipe for the vegan garlic mashed cauliflower and the interview from Levels Health with Dr. Terry Walls about her nutrition and lifestyle treatment for autoimmune conditions. Okay, Christine, immune, autoimmune, allergies, sensitivities, Mount Everest, (laughs) right? But maybe the place to start is sort of just to understand the immune system, right, and all of the pieces of our body that are the immune system. You want to start us off? Well, now, (laughs) (laughs) the immune system really is there to be our friend. Again, with Goldilocks, when it's working just right, it can go into overdrive, which I'm sure some of you have experienced with allergies and skin rashes and things like that. Sensitivities, raise your hand if you are sensitive to certain foods and that you don't eat certain things because they upset your stomach or again with the rashes or headaches, things like that. So you want to be able to have the immune system be on guard on the surface of your body to defend you against the outside bugs that are in the air. Autoimmune is a little different. That is when your body starts getting mixed messages about there may be something about your own organ that's telling your immune system that that's a foreign object. And that's not, we definitely don't want that. And there are ways to help to modify that and, and, and sort of send the immune system on its way. Go back out there and, you know, stop, stop coming into the house with your boots on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And I think when we want to think about the immune system, I suppose a big piece of it is really starting with understanding the microbial, right? This infection piece. And this is our defense. And a lot of what I think most of us have been thinking about for the last couple of years, right, that our body, our immune system remembers all of the things that it has fought ever <laughs> in, you know, our blood cells known as memory cells, right? We've heard memory B cells and T cells. And that means that when something shows up again, it recognizes it, it can destroy it. 
and it doesn't, you know, make us feel sick in the same way. So there's massive support that we get to our overall health from the immune system way beyond just thinking that it turns on when we need it, right? Like it's here all the time in so many different ways. And and there's sort of differences in what happens between sort of a cold and flu versus a virus. And so let's talk about, I guess, maybe this brings us to, you know, blood cells, antibodies. So I suppose white blood cells, right? We'll start with those. So they're made in our bone marrow and are part of our lymphatic system. So we have sort of a circulatory system and we have the lymphatic system. And both of them are really important for our immune system. So we think about circulation in the blood cells, right? Like our heart is pumping this stuff all over. And then our heart is acting as the energizer, right? To make sure things are happening all over. Our lymphatic system, we think of lymph nodes, they're part of our immune system, but they don't turn on on their own. (laughs) We actually have to move. It's why you might hear about people jumping on a trampoline or jumping up and down or things that we do in our workouts. That actually activates the lymph nodes, right, to function and and sort of, I guess what's the right word, like release so that they're able to fight the next thing and help our body fight what else is coming up. It's like a processing. So like when you have swollen lymph nodes, which most of us have at some point in our neck and our groin, you know, there might be a little lump there and you get all panicky and stuff. And it turns out it's just your body in the lymph system has captured this microbe. And so when I used to do massage, I would ask people, you know, they say, oh, I've got this big lump on my shoulder. Can you work it out? And I would say, yeah, but there's like flus and colds going around. Can you take off the next couple of days if we decide to circulate what the lymph system is taking care of. And so then they would have to make that decision before my elbow would get in there and loosen up this knot because if it was a product of the lymph system, sometimes you just want to leave it alone and let it kind of get in there and destroy. And then it just, like like Jen said, it goes into circulation again and you excrete it. Yeah, okay. We'll come back to lymphatic system maybe more too. Then antibodies, again, Big buzzword of the last couple of years. But I think antibodies help the body fight microbes and toxins, right? The poisons or the things that are trying to attack us. They recognize the pathogen, right? The antigen on the surface of the microbe or what's produced by the microbe as not being correct or, you know, what they need. And then the antibodies... Mark the antigen for destruction, right? So we're able to fight a pathogen because our antibodies recognize that this is no bueno, right? (laughs) Right? I feel like that's maybe a crude way to explain it, but, you know. And it's also that there are other cells that then come in, like, if you're old enough to remember Pac-Man. Of course. Did you see that thing recently that in a Petri dish... Brain cells were able to do Pac-Man? No. Yeah, it was just like yesterday or the day before. Look it up in the Times or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, so there was this game, you know, one of the early computer games that 
would go around kind of eating the enemy. And so the mouth would open and close. That's pretty much what this complement does, where you've got other cells that come along, like Jen said, once they've been marked as, as enemy or toxic, that the body will then actually destroy them. And so, you know, sometimes when you're feeling, you're not feeling sick, but you're feeling icky. Like you wake up in the morning, your eyes are kind of coated and, you know, it's a little, little bit of trouble breathing, like your nose is, I'm not talking about a cold, I'm talking about kind of pre-cold. All that is what it feels like to have some of this detoxing going on in your body. And the best thing sometimes is just leave it alone and let it do, you know, that you want to mm -hmm. make sure you're having maybe tea and fluids to kind of help the process along or maybe going for a walk where you're all bundled up, you know, but it's still like, so you're healthy helping it, but you're not trying to, you know, take aspirin or try to suppress the process because you want the, the healing to be complete so that you don't actually end up getting sick later. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me too. Like we think of killer cells, mm. right? The, the Pac-Men, but they know what to do because of the antibodies. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, like when people say I have cancer without joking, I can say, so do I. We all have cancer, but we have is one or two cells. One or two cells does not make a disease because our immune system can handle it. That's why it's really important to do all the kind of self-care lifestyle things you can do to support your immune system. And we'll talk about that later so that these one or two cells stay that way and we get rid of them. And if the next day another couple show up, our body can, it's not overwhelmed by them. Exactly. So we talked about the lymph system. As, you know, we're looking at fluid in the body, reactions to bacteria, potentially dealing with cancer cells, right? It's sort of picking up the products, even like fat from our diet yep. can get absorbed into the lymph system. So we have lymph nodes, which is often, right, or the lymph glands, like we think mm -hmm. about in our neck, right? Remember as a kid having strep throat mm -hmm. and they would, you know. Mumps. Yep. Mm -hmm. Your lymph vessels, right, are the tubes that carry lymph in the body. There are tissues that contain white blood cells that are gonna help us fight infection. And then the white blood cells themselves, the, what we call lymphocytes, are also part of the lymphatic system. Christine, you wanna talk about the complement system? Yeah, the idea that the antibodies are targeted and very specific allows the complement system, which is not always so specific. So your body can go around, like certain white blood cells are not specific. They just go around and they're looking for things that they don't consider healthy and they just destroy them right there on the spot. The complement system is a little bit more involved, which is that the antibodies recognize, as Jen said, something that they've seen before and so then they go and mark this cell for destruction. And then now you've got some of these other helper cells, like the white blood cells and the neutrophils and the things that the killer cells that are less specific. Now they're being called to action. And so then they can destroy, you know, this virus or even a bacteria. The, the problem with viruses, as we all know from the headlines, is that there are variants so why do people get flu shots every year? Because it's a different variant from the year before. The head colds, we've just given up. We don't even, right? it's like, if you get a cold every year, you get a cold every year. We don't even try to, to, to eliminate that. I mean, even that. with the flu shot, with the variants, when they make the flu shot, they're sort of guessing at what the variant might look like yeah. for the year. 
they said that they look at Australia or anything yes. in the Southern Hemisphere and what flu did they have? And it's like betting. And I've heard that it can be anywhere from 16 to 86% accurate. Right, which depending, that's a range. Depending on the year. So there was there was a year about four or five years ago where it was only 16% accurate. And then other years, they, they nail it, you know, and they right. get it. And then nobody gets sick if they have the flu shot. So I mean, it's so fun. But 16 to 86%, I mean, what a range. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't gamble those odds. Right, right. <laughs> so then I think that brings us to the spleen. I feel like the spleen is sort of like the gallbladder and things where people are like, I don't know what it does, right. but it's there. Right? Well, where is it? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so the spleen makes antibodies and makes lymphocytes. More importantly, the spleen filters our blood, right? So it's filtering the microbes, the damaged red blood cells, so that what continues to circulate is clean and healthful and supports the immune system, right, and supports our overall health. So if our spleen isn't functioning properly, it's a major problem, mm -hmm. even though it's an organ that many of us are like, I don't know, right? <laughs> In Chinese medicine, the spleen is slightly different. They talk about transforming and transporting all the nutrients throughout the body. So you're making things useful and then you're getting them to where they need to go. That's probably this idea of cleansing the blood and making sure that all the nutrients get to those faraway places. So it's got a slightly more digestive tinge to it, but in Western medicine, it's much more an active part of the immune system. Yeah. And then that brings us to bone marrow. So Bone marrow, right, it's inside our bones. It produces red blood cells, which the red blood cells, remember, carry oxygen. White blood cells fight infection. So our bone marrow, right, this also produces white blood cells. And then the platelets in our blood are also produced in the bone marrow, and that helps with clotting, mm. right? So we can think of clotting as why, you know, maybe a little cut on your finger stops bleeding after a few minutes, right? We don't necessarily need stitches for everything. So clotting is critical. <laughs> but in the context of the immune system, we think about it as the white blood cells and the red blood cells for the oxygen. Right. Right. And that, yes. And the bone marrow is what, when you hear about bone marrow transplants and things yep. like that, it's to get the incomplete or the kind of deformed white blood cells that aren't really being produced anymore in a particular person's body. If they have a cancerous disease or certain, you know, genetic things, you get a bone marrow transplant to replace the functions. And now it, once it's in there and it's working, then, you know, which, which a lot of times it does. Then, then now the person doesn't have the disease anymore, which is really fabulous. In time. I mean, mm -hmm. but the hope, right, is that the new bone marrow is going to help produce the blood cells that will help with the disease. Right, the healthy blood right. cells. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The thymus is also part of our filtration system for the blood. It also monitors our blood and produces... The T-cells, <laughs> right? We've heard a lot about T-cells over the last couple of years. I also remember, I think the first time I really learned about T-cells was from Rent, 
the musical. That's right. Right? When we learned about HIV and AIDS, and it was all about T-cells. Yep. And that's why the specific diseases that are considered AIDS as opposed to HIV positive yeah. are the things that happen to you when you don't have T-cells. So it's a really good idea to have T-cells and to support them. And they it does go hand in hand with the B cells, but they do slightly different things. There are different kinds of T cells. Like Jen said, there's the memory ones. There's also natural killer cells. There's different kinds of T cells that do certain jobs. The thymus is interesting because as a child, it's really active in producing all these things. As an adult, it's a little bit more about storing them. So I know that when I was younger, they would tell us to tap our chest and that would help to stimulate the thymus as if you were going to restore it to his pristine childhood state. And it turns out that's probably not true, but it does circulate T-cells. No, but maybe we should all have like a Tarzan beating yeah, yeah, chest yeah. moment, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. So, you know, as I'm sitting here, I have Tarzan beating, you know, his chest in my head and then the music from Rent going right, right, through right, my right, mind. Right, right. Right. <laughs> so 500. Right. <laughs> My T-cells are low. I regret that news. But how do you feel today? That's right. That's right. So I think the other piece of immune and the immune system is a lot of the stuff that we overlook as part of the immune system. So our gut, right? We talk a lot about all these organs in our gut as our immune system. But our skin, right? I mean, our skin is the waterproof barrier, It secretes oil with bacteria-killing properties. Like, our skin makes sure that we aren't falling ill from every single thing we come in contact with. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so funny. It's like the more I learn, the more in awe I am of everything that our body does without us having to think about it. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) You know? I think it's Howie Mandel. The the people who are germ-phobic and they won't like shake your hand or no hugs or whatever. It turns out they're probably right in terms of we do have microbes on our skin because our skin is intact. And, you know, unless you have surgery or something or an injury, and that's where you have to fight against infection. But if it's everything's intact, there's really nothing to worry about. You can shake someone's hand, you can kiss them, you can hug them. Because if both of your skin is intact, then that's what the skin does. And, and these oils also help protect. So there's really not that much to worry about. Well, it's interesting, too. I, My own theory, not science, not proven, <laughs> right, is... My instinct is that people who have that phobia of the germs likely have other compromised systems in the body that make them more susceptible. Mm. There's also something more to it. Comorbidities. Right. Mm -hmm. Or whatever, you know, or maybe you skew more acidic and so bacteria grows in an acidic environment. Like, who knows? I'm making this up, but... My instinct is always that there's more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. That their instincts are doing, yes, yes, exactly. That they have this instinct for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The lungs are another one. Phlegm or mucus in our lungs, we often think of that as a problem, but it can, it traps bacteria. You know, it can make sure that if things aren't getting all over. We think of coughing, <laughs> right? So... I know, Christine, you have a love-hate with a little cough and a little phlegm. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, welcome to, to my world of long COVID because it was way worse originally, but you know, pretty much daily, it would be this one coughing fit in the morning, and then I was pretty good to go for the rest of the day. It turns out those little hairs that are in your lungs, these little cilia, they kind of brush the phlegm, you know, along the path that takes it to your reflexes. And what happens is for some people, they can feel this ache way low in their lungs, but there's no reflex to cough. So you have to mm -hmm. move it. And that's why when I used to do massage, people after the massage would say, oh, you know, I feel a little like congested right now. And, and as soon as they'd sit up and walk around, it would go away. But it's because the massage was actually stimulating the little hairs to get the phlegm to be in a place where they could feel it. Whereas if it's just kind of stuck to the sides of the walls of the lungs, you don't have the sensation. You just might have a, a heaviness or a pressure, but you don't feel like you want to cough. That's the difference. Yeah. So I mentioned this before, and we talk about it all the time with gut health, but your digestive tract is a massive piece of our body's defenses and immune function and immune system. So the stomach acid right, can kill microbes. And then we talk about gut health as far as also the lining of the gut. So the mucosal barrier, the lining of the gut contains antibodies. But also, and we'll get into this, when that mucosal barrier is compromised, we see autoimmune right? And other conditions. So that mucosal barrier of the gut not only helps us fight, but also if it's going back to Goldilocks, right? If it's not right, <laughs> it can also create some massive challenges for our health. What else? Saliva, body oil, what do you want to... Yes. <laughs> Tears. Oh. <laughs> so, so like there are times when, you know, you, you, you even when you're out in the cold and it gets windy, you know, and your eyes tear, you know, there are things that are happening that are immune functions, not necessarily that you heard a sad song or something, you know, so, and the same thing with like allergies, it's, it's, that's one of the reasons the histamine is produced and you have extra tears and extra phlegm is because your body thinks that the pollen is dangerous. It thinks that what was in the air or maybe someone's smoke, you know, or perfume, you know, whatever you're allergic to it that's airborne. If your eyes get all watery, that's a way of kind of cleansing out the allergen. And then I think a piece that's often confused about the immune system is fever. Mm. I feel like a lot of times people think fever is a symptom of a specific illness or disease or something like that, right? Rather, Fever is a function of the immune system. It is an immune response. The, the role of the fever is essentially the body raising its temperature to kill the pathogen, right? And so sometimes a fever can be really helpful. <laughs> you know, certainly it can be uncomfortable and we may take some things to help with the fever because if a fever gets too high, there can be, you know, issues there. But a fever triggers the body to do other things too, to start to repair, to, you know, it's a function of the immune system. Mm -hmm. So it's an indication that our immune system is turning on and working and fighting something. 
And again, it's just like every other piece of this where, you know, we don't want it to get too high, but we also don't necessarily want to fight it either because it's serving a purpose. Yeah, to suppress it. I mean, I think what happened in recent years is that people are like, I can't take a day off from work. I don't have sick days anymore, you know, so. Or kids. Yeah, yeah. so they'll, you know, gulp down a couple of aspirin and that will bring the fever down. But then. You know, you always have this kind of lingering, like feeling of like, like when when you've gone through a, a, a bacteria or a viral attack, you've gone through it to the very end of its of its process. You feel you might feel a little tired, but but once you get your strength back, you feel clear and good and kind of renewed. When you suppress it, there's always a chance that you can have that long. Kind of, it's almost doldrums, you know, where like mm-hmm. a month later you still don't feel yourself and you might feel a little bit tired. like lingering. It lingering. feels like I've had a cold for as yeah. long as I can remember this season. So right. sometimes <laughs> you just let a, you have to let the fever rip. You know, of course, with adults, you want the numbers to be lower for a fever. Then a child can go up a little bit higher. Yeah. That's not as dangerous, you know. And then the the just a, a little sidebar is when you take antibiotics, you're actually cooling off your system. So what you're doing on either side is you're taking the, especially bacteria, they're a little bit more uh, fragile. You're taking them out of their range so they don't want to be too hot or too cold. The bacteria also want it to be just right. So in either case, you can use either one to fight the same the same disease. And again, you know, if you need to work, if you need to get the kids, that's why people take antibiotics to kind of speed things up, you know, sore throats yep. and things like that. Yeah. And I think it's also worth noting, I want to get into sort of disorders of the immune system and then the functional nutrition stuff. But before we do, I think it's also worth noting lifestyle pieces that suppress our immune system. Number one I can think of is stress. Sleep. Yes, sleep. Number two. For sure. Mm -hmm. And it means, first of all, I mean, think about it. When you don't feel well, what does your body want to do? You want to sleep, (laughs) right? And we have episodes on sleep and episodes on stress. But you know, sleep is critical to detoxify for our immune system, for everything in our body to really reset and replenish. And stress, you know, that fight or flight response, our immune system is not critical to survival if our body thinks that we are being chased by that favorite saber-toothed tiger. I need a different animal. Woolly, I want woolly, woolly mammoth. mammoth. Are they right, not? I don't know. They might be vegans. Right. <laughs> I don't know. But it's right. If our body thinks that we are in life or death situations, the random pathogen that we breathe in, not going to get any attention. You know, so to also say don't stress is like, "Mm -hmm, go away. Right. I get that. But it's about understanding how can we help our body turn off that stress response, recognize that it's not life or death when our phone buzzes and you know, to help our immune system come back online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else before we... Oh, oh, just steroids. When you take steroids, <clears throat> you're actually taking the stress hormone. And what it's doing is it's reducing inflammation, but it's 
also reducing your immune response. So you want to, if you can, you know, not everyone can get off of steroids because you need it for a chronic situation. But if you can, you want to minimize how often you take those things because you have to remember then you're walking down the street, you're a little bit more susceptible to the flu, the cold, you know, your immune system is not going to be working as well. Because as Jen said, you know, if the the woolly mammoth or saber-toothed tiger comes along, you, you really can't be worrying about, you know, the immune system that we described before. Excellent. So we'll do a quick ad break, and then we'll get into disorders of the immune system and functional nutrition to support immune health and immune balance. So our partner for today's episode is DNA Miracles, because every child is a miracle. DNA Miracles provides the highest quality body and wellness products designed for babies, children, and expectant mothers. All products are gentle, easy to use, and 100% effective when used as directed. DNA Miracles partner with leading health professionals and scientists who follow the highest standards and ingredient selection to create the most effective skin, hair, and health solutions. As natural as possible, DNA Miracles is the best and safest option on the market for you and your little miracle. From expert pediatricians to real family testimonials, everyone has fallen in love with DNA Miracles. So we're talking about the immune system today, and it feels fitting to mention the DNA Miracles Isotonics Immune Formula. So it supports the body's natural immune response. It includes powerful ingredient, one in particular called Wellmune where in clinical trials, it was showed to promote a healthy immune system. The formula also supports the activity of macrophages, T cells, natural killer cells, right? All of these cells sort of engulf and destroy the pathogens and the foreign matter. So it also provides antioxidant protection in the formula. I think the best part of the whole thing with the DNA Miracles Isotonics Immune is that it tastes pretty good, so I think your kids will actually take it. <laughs> and it's only $22.50. That's also before your 10% off and free shipping for being a Sal with a Side of Fries listener. So simply text the word MIRACLES, M-I-R-A-C-L-E-S, to 844-947-4846. You'll receive the link and coupon code right to your phone. Again, simply text the word MIRACLES, plural, MIRACLES, M-I-R-A-C-L-E-S, to 844-947-4846. This is a toll-free number. Standard text and data rates may apply. <laughs> the ad might also be a preview of things to come that we're going to talk about in a second. but. Let's start with sort of disorders of the immune system. We've talked a lot about cold and flu and things like that. But so overactive immune system is allergy. Yeah. Right? When it's turned outward. So that the autoimmune, like I said before, is when it's turned against yourself. Mm -hmm. They're both overactive. Yeah. Like they're not, they're not protecting you anymore. They're actually, you know, hurting you. So, so the allergies in terms of the outside of your body allergies, most of these things are pretty innocent of, on their own. Like, so people are allergic to certain foods like peanuts and things, you know, that other people are not allergic to and can eat, you know, so it's not so much that they're dangerous in and of themselves, but they're dangerous to you because you have an allergy. Could be, a, you know, a bug, you know, a bee or a bee sting. Some people even with mosquitoes have an allergic reaction. Anaphylaxis is like the really serious, you've probably heard of that allergic reaction where, you know, get thee to the emergency room. Your or EpiPen. EpiPen, yeah, know. yeah. 
that's also been in the news recently. So um, even like on the more milder side to, you know, like hay fever, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, sinus infection, right. kind of, although that's an infection versus an allergy. But, you know, like but congestion. But it could start as an allergy. See, sure. See, yes. some of these things, when you say I have a secondary infection, like why are they giving me antibiotics? It's because you started with an allergy. You got all congested and clogged up. Things are kind of breeding in there. And so now you do have a secondary yep. a sinus infection. Yeah. Asthma is another one I always think of. And then skin stuff, right? So eczema, hives. Like I know I get hives sometimes really randomly. Like mm-hmm. I'll, in my head, it's connected to something I ate. But if you were to tell me right, ask me right now, what gives me hives? I have no idea. Yeah. But every now and then, you know, I'll have a hive here and there. But remember, we talk about our skin as our gut turned inside out. So some of these you know, skin conditions of our immune system could be addressed, not just topically, but also looking at what's happening in the gut. Right. For a while there, I had a, a sort of a sun allergy, you know, like I even went on a vacation and ended up with a rash, you know, and and from, you know, being out like in the sun. Like sun poisoning? Yeah. But then, you know, w- the question, of course, I have years later was what was I eating at the time? And did that, you know, was it a combined thing? It's not always the one thing. It can be a combination. I always used to get heat rash as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I haven't but, gotten yeah. it since. And and also you can change. Your allergies can change. So yes. maybe you were aller- allergic to chocolate. It's every seven years our body changes. So, you know, be careful, but you can test things out to see if you're still allergic because. And you want to test, you know, if your reaction is anaphylaxis, we're right, not right, going to no, test no, it on no, our own here. No, no, right? no. But if the, if the reaction is redness on the skin, right. we might be willing to test like it seven mild, years yeah. later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then autoimmune, like you were saying, is our immune system also overactive and looking inward. And what happens most often with autoimmune, so we've talked before about sort of the villi, (laughs) which are the finger-like things that line your intestines, right? And they can get worn down and coated with food or gunk, you know, very technical terms. And over time, they can sort of blunt. And a lot of times when they blunt, it's a function, you know, it turns into autoimmune. They're supposed to be packed next to each other, more or less. Like, yes, some space between them, but not a ton. And then if there is a ton of space, then that's where we have this barrier that is compromised and things from the gut can end up going right into the blood. And we see a lot of autoimmune conditions with that. What would you say? Biology, not biology, but leaky gut. Yeah. So, so the things that leak out sometimes can adhere to some of your tissues. So it's that the combination of like, say your thyroid and the thing that leaked out now your body recognizes as foreign. So the fact that it adhered, that it's stuck to your thyroid, that's the problem is that your body now actually mounts an immune response to your thyroid, you know, which, you know, or it could be any other organs like, you know, we've got a whole list of them in terms of like rheumatoid arthritis would be, yep. you know, inside the joint and the flu, the synovial fluids and the lining, all of that. Going back to the thyroid, I think of like Hashimoto's. Exactly. And yeah. MS. 
Yep, yep. Right? Yeah, Multiple yeah. sclerosis. Yeah. So there's a lot of, yeah, where where your body is now attacking yourself. The other thing that can happen, it's not always the leaky gut. It can be a certain trigger. So you'll hear people say, you know, after my car accident, I developed an autoimmune disease or some of the people that I work with who have really high impact pain, you know, they'll have the pain first from the accident or from the fall or from an injury or a surgery or something. And being at that level of pain, evidently, then makes the immune system again hyperactive to kind of get rid of the pain and in the process sometimes they'll develop autoimmune diseases as mm -hmm. the body's failed way of trying to get rid of this pain you know so bottom line <laughs> overactive is not our best scenario right we can end up with these sort of allergies or autoimmune the other side of underactive is also we're getting sick, right. <laughs> right? We feel very susceptible. Maybe that's why you're a little bit phobic of shaking somebody's hand or whatever it is, right? Like maybe you feel like, you know, if you're around somebody who has a cold, you're going to get it, right? <laughs> you know, that's sort of the underactive. The one thing we haven't really specifically talked about is more of like sensitivities, mm. So when I did a food sensitivities test years ago, essentially the way they talked about it was that what they were looking for in the lab was a white blood cell response to the food because they were, you know, it was a food sensitivities test. So they were looking at, is there a response in the white blood cells? Is it a full-blown allergy? No, not necessarily, but there's something also not totally benign about it. Mm -hmm. How do you describe sensitivities? Like, uh, I, let's do gluten because gluten's a, yeah. you know, that's Easy an obvious one. one. Yeah. So, so there are people who actually have the autoimmune disease of celiac. And so those people should never have gluten because those little, I call them straws, the little villi that are absorbing the food. When they're damaged, their little heads kind of just like like a a, a, a flower. Bow. They yeah. just bow down, yeah, like a poor flower that has like too much wilted. water or wilted. Yeah. So, but what happens is a lot of other people have noticed, including myself, that when they have certain kinds of wheat and gluten then maybe they'll have joint pain or maybe they'll have that feeling of not being quite right or maybe they get tired or whatever the whatever the things that they associate with this sensitivity could be a rash with this sensitivity is that again something that's not necessarily dangerous but your body is having that headache right your body's having that response to it so you know, you can call it a sensitivity, you can call it a trigger, you know, and it's just good to know for yourself, like what things are the triggers, what things are making your joints ache or, or your foggy brain or whatever it is. What we're going to discuss after though, is what to do to make yes. that less sensitive and to calm down autoimmune and to calm down allergies and to boost up the good parts of the immune system, but not, you know, not take away the the things that it does well, but to take away some of this overreaction. So there are ways of, of maneuvering around that. Yeah. So perfect segue, almost like we planned it. So what do we do, right? We have, as Christine just said, we have so many options. Like you're not doomed, no matter what you're experiencing, you're not doomed. And I think that's often how people feel when they're diagnosed with some of these things. And it can feel that way. And I hope that 
we can help sort of minimize that and mitigate that and give you more tools for the tool belt, right? So in thinking about the immune system and supporting proper function and activity of the immune system, there are some things food-wise that we'd be served by not indulging in all that often, right? (laughs) That was a very, I'm trying to be balanced about how I say it, right? But frankly, foods to avoid. And this is no surprise to anybody, but processed food and sugar are going to wreak havoc, right? It creates extra work for every system in our body. It's part of what gunks up the whole GI tract, very technical there, gunks up, but it's not serving us in any way. And so especially if we're experiencing any of these symptoms, that's actually a really simple solution, not always easy, but simple, (laughs) you know, that we can say, okay, I'm going to put some extra effort here to help myself feel better. Mm -hmm. And I think you were talking about gluten before, you know, if you don't have a sensitivity or an allergy to gluten, do you need to avoid it like the plague? No. Do we want to make sure that what we're eating from grains are actually whole grains and not processed grains? Yes. If we're not sure, we've talked about it a million times. You could do a, you know, elimination diet. We have nutrition nuggets on grains. We have nutrition nuggets, episodes on gut health and all these things where we talk about how to do an elimination diet. And dairy is another big one, right? You were talking about phlegm (laughs) and mucus. Dairy is a major cause of phlegm and mucus. So I always say to people, you know, if you're prone, if your kids are prone to certain infections, or they're always congested. Like, let's watch what's happening with the dairy. Because we, again, it may not solve everything, but we don't have to exacerbate what's happening either, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. See, all these things are like, you know, trial and error for yourself. So as Jen said, you know, if gluten's not a thing for you, then, you know, like, let's get the healthiest grains at least. And so then with dairy... I know for myself when I was a runner, you know, like like I could have used a little phlegm. I was dry because, you know, you would sweat when you would run and replacing the fluids. So so dairy never bothered me. But then when I stopped running, then it felt like things were like backing up a little. And, you know, age is another thing, you know, that can happen. So what you'd want to do is monitor yourself. And so two other things from Chinese medicine was chicken. So like see if the day of or the day after, if you're extra congested, maybe that was because you had chicken last night. And then orange juice is another one. They just happen to, for some people, create phlegm. So, you know, you just want to be able to have the choices and to say, you know, would it be so difficult to have, you know, apple juice or some other kind of juice instead of If you're having juice juice at all. You know, or or no juice at all. (laughs) If, you know, if you're sensitive, so. Yeah. That also goes to the point of tracking because sometimes the symptom can show up three days after we eat the thing. And we talk, again, we talk about this all the time, writing it down because our instinct is to connect it to the most recent thing. And if we're going to identify some patterns, we likely need more data mm-hmm. than our recency bias of whatever we can think of in the moment. Yep. And then nutrient-wise. So you might choose to get some of these nutrients through food or through supplementation. But I think whenever we talk about, you know, immune, vitamin C is the first thing that comes up. I always think of vitamin C as nature's antihistamine, (laughs) right? Vitamin C, you have citrus fruit, 
Strawberries, bell peppers, tomatoes, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower. That's why I gave you the cauliflower soup recipe for our members. (laughs) Or not cauliflower soup. Mashed potatoes. Mashed cauliflower. Thank you. (laughs) You know, but I think an important piece with vitamin C is to understand in the research, it's really about 200 milligrams a day that people need. So sometimes, you know, we want to make sure we're doing enough. And, you know, again, we also don't need to be taking a bajillion milligrams of vitamin C either, (laughs) you know. Right. Like sometimes people will like, I've noticed for myself and other runners that like the week before the marathon, you're actually tapering now, but you're also stressed, you know, am I going to be able to do this thing? So that during that week, so many people get either head colds or flus. And the week after. And the week after both, yeah. Even if it's a placebo, you know, because sometimes, you know, we believe in things. So if you believe in lemon and citrus and that, and and you're thinking about vitamin C, that, you know, you might want to take it because you feel like, oh, I'm doing everything I know what to do to make it that I'm healthy on race day. Yeah, quick note. So vitamin C is as a nutrient important in the immune system. So it contributes to the increase in B and T cells, white blood cells, and, you know, antibodies and the role of killing those infections, right? So vitamin C is critical in the function of our immune system, more so than just saying, oh, it's going to help me, you know, because it's an antioxidant. You're right. That's right. That's right. No, a lot of these things do other things. Yep. Zinc is another one that gets a lot of tout or clout (laughs) for immune support, you know, zinc deficiency, right? The body produces fewer infection-fighting cells. And so we can, right, we're therefore more susceptible. You know, I think zinc, oh, I guess let's do foods. So beef, oysters, crab, cashews, chickpeas, Greek yogurt, pumpkin seeds, lentils. What else about zinc? What am I forgetting? That, that you're basically supporting. Remember we talked about before that the antibodies were the specific. They are going after a specific pathogen. This, the zinc is actually more broad. Like, you know, when they say a broad spectrum antibiotic, this would be a broad spectrum nutrient that would help a lot of the white blood cells, like the natural killer cells and the white blood cells that are like more like the Pac-Man. It's on that side, you know, which is nice because when you blend zinc and, and vitamin C, which sometimes that's in the same formulas, you're getting both. You're getting the antibodies are being supported and the white blood cells are being supported. Probiotics, right? Going back to gut health, probiotics and prebiotics. So prebiotics are your fiber, right? Your vegetables and your fruit that are the food for the probiotics, the bacteria, the good bacteria, the healthy gut bugs that we need. We've talked about it so many times. Other ways for probiotics, fermented foods, right? Kimchi, sauerkraut, miso, tempeh, kefir, some yogurts, although a lot of times they're sort of added into the yogurt. When you're looking at fermented foods, you want to make sure that they actually were fermented and not just pickled. Because a lot of times in your grocery store, you know, to get the same flavor, (laughs) but in a more sustainable, shelf-stable way, pickling gets us to a similar place, but not similar chemistry in terms of what the fermented foods are offering Mm -hmm, us. mm -hmm. There's, I think, 
just in terms of the gut, it's like between 70 and 80% of our immune system is in our gut. So when you talk about these, the, the microbiome or these gut bugs, it's really an important piece of what they're talking about. What, what's not recommended is yogurt-covered cranberries, yogurt-covered pretzels. You know, good point, good Anything point. <laughs> that's covering anything else. Yogurt doesn't do that. Yogurt is not that consistency. So anything that's covering anything else means there's a whole bunch of sugar in there and very little yogurt and also very little anything live. You want the, the, the bugs that you're putting into your gut to be live. And so- yes. And you also want the right ones in the right, right part right. of the gut. right. So not every probiotic out there is the same. Mm-hmm. And so there's also, again, we've done nutrition nuggets on, you know, all of these kinds of pieces because each one is individually a whole right. conversation unto itself. Yep. Um, vitamin E is an interesting one. So vitamin E, almonds, sunflower seeds, spinach, broccoli, tomato, avocado. I think a lot of times we think of vitamin E as a fat-soluble vitamin. But it really works in the body like an antioxidant. And it helps with sort of the membranes of every cell. Uh, Vitamin E also, as an antioxidant, protects against the oxidative stress of immune cells, strengthens immune cells' physiological function, right? So we're really talking like functional food to support the immune system when we talk about a lot of these foods. That's why they call it functional nutrition. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it it definitely is like another layer to add into your toolbox to say, you know, not only am I going to stir up the immune system to get it to work better, but I'm going to actually support it and nourish it itself. So those cells are going to be as healthy as they can be so that when they need to do the work they need to do, they're ready to go. And again, I think that's part of possibly, and again, I'm making this up, that possibly the overactive or underactive is that the actual immune cells have suffered their own damage, you know, through, through either toxins or, or stress or whatever. Yeah, so there's some research. Vitamin E increases the percentage of T cells, the white blood cells that seek out and destroy the invaders. And the recommended dose is like 15 milligrams. So again, not a lot. We can get that Mm. easily. Supplementation-wise is where I think we want to be smarter about things. There are some supplements for the immune system that are best not taken every day. Because, right, if we have an overactive immune system, we know that's not what we're looking for, versus, you know, other things that are more of those baseline nutrients that do support the everyday. So, and I think another one that keeps coming up that came up a lot over the last couple of years is, you know, mushrooms and beta-glucans. And, you know, they support the activity of the macrophages, T-cells. You know, they really help us fight pathogens and foreign matter, among other things, right? They really, beta-glucans can do a lot in the body. So they might be something for you to look at. I personally like this formula. So by the way, that the Wellmune, that ingredient that we talked about in the DNA in the ad, it is made from yeast beta-glucan. And that formula also has vitamin C and zinc. And so some of the things that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Echinacea, though. (laughs) Christine, talk to us about echinacea. 
Well, remember I said before about antibiotics cooling you off, that that's another way to fight, especially with bacteria being so fragile that it needs to be within a certain temperature in your body. So you can go hot, which is fever, or when they say bundle up and drink tea and ginger and things that will make you sweat, that's one way of fighting, but then there's also the cooling off. So echinacea is a little bit more like the antibiotics that you're cooling off your system. So in my personal opinion, I would not do echinacea every day. I would do it when I feel like I'm coming down with something. I feel a little scratchy. I feel a little bit under the weather. Then you know, for a day or two, I would take it, you know, probably to make the, the course of whatever's coming down, like the cold or the, or the flu, have it shorten, shorten the amount of time that you're, you're going to be knocked out. Excellent. So what I'm hearing, and I want to reiterate this, right? Echinacea is one for when we feel something, not every day as right. a default. Right. Daily. No. Yes. Vitamin D is another one. We often think about vitamin D for bone health, and a lot of other things. But vitamin D, now specifically, if you're supplementing with D, you want to make sure it's D3. And for bone health, you want to make sure that it has the K2 with it so that it actually gets into the bones. But vitamin D supports the modulation of a lot of our genes that are responsible for encoding proteins that regulate cell cycle activity. We talked about some things before <laughs> that are a function of improper cell cycle activity. So vitamin D is strongly correlated to healthy cells and vitamin D receptors for healthy expression of genes encoding and our immune function and our immune health. What else do you want people to know about vitamin D? That a lot of the issues that we've been talking about, like say autoimmune diseases or other kinds of, of, like even I think COVID, that they found that people had a deficiency of D. And now what we don't know is did the disease cause the deficiency of D or were the people not, you know, taking enough of it or finding enough of it in their food. So it's a little tricky, but for me, you know, I, I, I sort of go with the functions of D being on the receptor sites being on every single cell in your body that I always ask the question, could this hurt me if I yep. take vitamin D? So I think the answer for the most part is probably not, you know, that was like, like even what they do is sometimes they super load you up with D for like 10 days. And now that it's in you, you don't have to take that large amount anymore, but you've gotten the blood work back and now you're, you're at the, the amount that they want. But is D dangerous? You know, it's like not if it's done, you know, well, in the, in, in yeah. the context of a disease and if it's in, done in the context of your low, low levels. And in some of the research, there was also some stuff about demodulating the immune system. So we were talking about, right, that Goldilocks balance, D might be critical in that modulation. And it also is connected to T cell function. And then the last thing is aloe, right? So we've done a nutrition nugget on aloe, but I think of this one a lot around gut health, that mucosal barrier of the gut being able to repair. Not all aloe juices are the same. I'm going to direct you back to our other episodes on that because, again, it's a whole can of worms there. But there's a lot to be said for the healing properties, right? We think about 
aloe on a rash or aloe on a sunburn, right? And then our skin, our intestines turn inside out. So then we go to our gut and we can use the aloe, not the same one that you put on your skin. Don't drink your aloe gel, (laughs) right? (laughs) But aloe on the insides can help heal that gut barrier and revive in time your your villi. (laughs) Yeah, there are two approaches. One is that you think of aloe as mostly your upper Mm -hmm. digestive tract. So that might be, you know, if your voice is scratchy and you have to go and speak or the esophagus, you know, you get a little burning or like when you lie down, you can feel, you know, have a little gastritis or your stomach acid. You feel like it's, it's going the wrong way. That aloe helps all that. The way to get it into a, so that's how I usually use it. The way to get it into the deeper areas of your digestive tract to repair, like maybe your intest, small intestine, large intestine, is just to take more, you know, that you would take the amount of time. Yeah, the the amounts change so that then it goes into your stomach and there's still some left uh, coming out the other end of your stomach to soothe some of the things that are going on in the, in the small intestine and, and large intestine. So, you know, people have ulcerations, they have mm-hmm. different things that can repair. It's just be aware that it's not going to get there unless you take enough of it. And aloe also has some antimicrobial properties in and of itself as well. Not, not bacteria as much as fungus, virus. It's slightly, you know, I, <clears throat> I wouldn't take it for a, a bacteria. Cool. All right. We did a lot. We're going to wrap this up. I don't normally do this, but I feel like this is going to be fun. So I'm going to say the thing. You give us one sentence to wrap it up. Okay. Immune. Protection. Autoimmune. Excess. Allergy. Excess. Sensitivities. Excess. (laughs) And then I want to say, remember Goldilocks, right? If there's one takeaway here, it's Goldilocks. Mm. All right, it's time for our nutrition nugget. You ready? This week, we're talking about Ozempic. So you may be hearing about this in the news. It's a pharmaceutical that we're seeing all over for weight loss. So there was a headline recently in the Wall Street Journal that said how a diabetes drug became the talk of Hollywood tech and the Hamptons. (laughs) So Elon Musk is taking not Ozempic, but a similar drug. Andy Cohen, the producer at Bravo, tweeted something about all the Real Housewives showing up 25 pounds lighter and referenced Ozempic in his tweet. Millionaire Matchmaker talked about it. There's some suspicion that this is what the Kardashians are taking, but we don't actually know that. Anyway, I think (laughs) for years I have been wanting to do an episode about nutrition in the news, but then timing makes that challenging. And there are so many stories about this that I thought, let's just address it here. So Ozempic is a prescription that was originally designed for type 2 diabetics to help lower their A1C and help control blood sugar and reduce the risk of a major cardiovascular event, right? Like a stroke, a heart attack, or death. So let's talk about A1C for a second. A1C, also known as hemoglobin A1C, is a blood test, right? We find out the numbers, blood tests. But what it's really looking for is almost like your average blood sugar levels is sort of how they think about it. But what happens, so when there's sugar in your bloodstream, it attaches to hemoglobin, a protein in red blood cells. So 
everybody has some sugar attached to their hemoglobin. People with higher blood sugar levels have more. So the A1C test is measuring the percentage of your blood cells that have sugar-coated hemoglobin. Now, I think this test is often used to sort of look at diabetes or pre-diabetes. It's really important if you have challenges around blood sugar or are diabetic. So how does Ozempic work in managing A1C, right? So this is a pharmaceutical. It's what we would call a GLP-1A or RA, really, a receptor agonist. So let me back up. So GLP-1 is glucagon-like peptide 1. So this is a peptide hormone primarily produced in the intestine and specific neurons in the central nervous system. So it's specifically part of the brain called the NTS, the nucleus tractus solitarius. I probably butchered that, but. (laughs) So GLP-1 secretion is stimulated in response to food consumption. So after eating, GLP-1 exerts its effects, increasing insulin to then lower blood sugar levels. Ozempic essentially mimics, that might be the wrong word, but it's a receptor agonist in that it the actions of it are similar to GLP-1 hormone to stimulate insulin release. So in prescribing Ozempic for type 2 diabetes, people were losing weight. And now there are some people prescribing it or potentially really, I should say, people paying for it (laughs) who don't have type 2 diabetes but want the weight loss effect, right? So to be clear, Ozempic is not approved for weight loss. It is approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, the cardiovascular events, right, in the A1C. It is not approved for weight loss. There's another one called Wegovy. I think I'm saying it right, W-E-G-O-V-Y. So this is a similar med. It's in that same class of the GLP-1-RA. The manufacturer of Wegovy went back to the FDA in 2021 and received approval for weight loss. However, it is not weight loss for anybody. It is specifically weight loss for people who have another condition that is related to weight, like type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. So while it's not approved, people are using it for this. The other piece of how this functions is that GLP-1 agonists slow gastric emptying. So that's the speed that our stomach empties after a meal. Theoretically, the longer the gastric emptying takes, the more food remains in the stomach, making us feel satisfied or satiated for longer. So as a result, treatment that's mimicking GLP-1, they're saying lowers hunger and appetite and enhances fullness, resulting in reduced food consumption and weight loss. Now, there are also GLP-1 receptors in the brain, specifically in the hypothalamus, and that regulates food intake through the central nervous system. So again, that's those feelings of hunger and satiety. So there are certain situations where this can be life-saving and incredibly helpful. But I also want to give everybody a note of caution to be wary 
of the feeling that this is a magic bullet or a magic injection because it's an injected <laughs> thing. So we can do this with fiber, quality fat, and protein, <laughs> right? That slows gastric emptying. The other side of that is there are a lot of people who eat even when they don't necessarily feel stomach hungry. <laughs> if the only challenge was that our stomach felt empty, right, or we knew and how to respond to the feeling of satiety and fullness, we probably wouldn't have some of the issues. So I think there's just more to this story than the pure biology or mechanics of it. When we think about hunger and satiety signaling, right, we talk about it. It's leptin and ghrelin, those hormones that tell us when we're satisfied, when we're hungry. We can support this through our food choices and strategic supplementation, like white kidney bean extract, leptocor, which is a patent patented ingredient, bitter melon fruit extract, chromium, we talked about a couple weeks ago, is known as the glucose tolerance factor. So there are things that we can do to also support the biology and the chemistry. And those options might save you a lot of money because the prescription, is, there's a reason why they call it, you know, the med for the 1% because it's about $700 to $1,000 a week. Then <laughs> we also often talk about how our health is a function of body composition, not just the number on the scale. I could not find in any research or anything about these drugs where they looked at body composition. They looked at the change on the scale. They looked at BMI. But that doesn't actually tell us what was lost from the body. Was it fat? Was it muscle, water, bone? We don't really know. And our health outcomes are about a whole lot more than just that number on the scale. And you guys know that because you're here all the time. There are physicians who are saying, I read an article where there was a physician who was like, I will absolutely not recommend this. I will not prescribe it for weight loss, even when people come in asking for it. His comment was really that it's so new. We really don't know. There's too little research and the downside is too significant. The other side of this to me, which is certainly a can of worms, but like, we are the only country or maybe one of only a couple countries in the world where pharmaceuticals are marketed directly to consumers. So the fact that we have people showing up to a doctor's office asking for pharmaceuticals is a very bizarre thing. But conversation for another day. So, you know, certainly all medications have side effects. And I think that's something we would certainly want to consider here as always. And you talk about it with your healthcare provider. But I think we also want to understand when we see the news and see these things that seem, you know, too good to be true, people who are taking this who don't have type 2 diabetes, who don't have higher A1C levels, what would it mean if their A1C got too low, right? If we don't have elevated A1C and we're taking this drug that originally was designed to help lower A1C, low and very low A1C levels have serious health implications. It basically can cause liver disease and all-cause mortality. So essentially, higher death possibility. That's not English, but whatever. You know what I mean. So th the bottom line I think I want everybody to remember here is that 
weight management and beyond that, body composition is complex. Like everything we talk about, there's this bio, psycho, social component. All three elements are really important. And any treatment that addresses only one piece of it is really lacking. And I think especially if our outcome and the desired outcome that we're looking for is optimal health and vitality. If what you're looking for is the number on the scale to go down, you don't have to spend this money and you could do any diet out there and it will work, right? If what we're looking for is health, we want to take a biopsychosocial approach and we have a lot of options to the bio side of it without having to take these medications for the average person who doesn't have some of these other conditions that make this an appropriate medication. So don't lose your common sense. (laughs) Don't stop, you know, use your analytical thinking when we see these headlines. Christine, anything else? I said to Jen that a while back, it was the same thing with Lipitor and some of these uh, cholesterol-lowering drugs, nobody ever asked what happens if my cholesterol is too low. You know, every cell in your body has cholesterol. So same thing with this. It's like they're not asking what happens if you're deficient in blood sugar, you know. And I'm thinking the brain. I just spent the whole day listening to this webinar on the brain, and I'm thinking, how are you going to think straight if you have no blood sugar? Yeah. All right. Well, Christine, thank you again for being here today. Oh, it's been fun. As always, everybody, I'm your host, Jen Trepic. Connect with me on Instagram or all social media. I am at Jen Trepic, J-E-N-N-T-R-E-P-E-C-K. Send me a message. I want to hear you know, your takeaways, your questions, any topics you'd like us to cover. This is also the easiest way to learn more about working with me as your health coach. And if you are not already, become a member. Join us by going to glow.fm slash salad with a side of fries or click the link in the show notes. Becoming a member supports this podcast and this community. Most importantly, though, it supports your health. You'll get this week's recipe for the vegan garlic mashed cauliflower and the interview from Dr. Casey Means of Levels Health with Dr. Terry Walls about her nutrition and lifestyle treatment for autoimmune conditions. So until next week, remember, we want to support our immune health and balance because just like Goldilocks, we're looking for it to be just right. Well, friends, that's it for today's episode of Salad with a Side of Fries. Congratulations for making yourself and your health a priority. Thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to click subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform. Share us with a friend and we'll be back next week. Always remember, you deserve it and you are worth it. Happy healthy.